Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Uh, we're coming at you a couple hours after Rick Carlisle's introductory press conference in Indiana. Um, we're going to hit a little bit on, on the press conference today, but uh, both Caitlin and I have a lot of um, overarching so- thoughts uh, on some of the disgusting stuff that's just been going on in general in the NBA, uh, and we felt wrong not uh not taking the time to talk about it uh, because we have a really big platform and I, I think it's partially our job to do that and also we just would we would feel wrong not doing it um before we dive in caitlin uh how are you doing today how you know i think we have a we, we have a lot to dive into but i guess the first thing i would ask you is uh how are you doing what are your thoughts on uh initially coming away from the press conference yeah so overall it's like over the last week i'm just like a little bit um exhausted and just to give a background like i think people know that our community members at indy cornrows that for years i mean you don't know this because you're fairly brand new still but i mean when i ride at indy cornrows my byline my name is abbreviated like it doesn't say caitlin it says c cooper that's in part why my handle is the way that it is my picture on twitter is a typewriter because like i'm not trying to necessarily I guess I should say, I don't even want to use the word hide. Like it's, it's not that I'm trying to not show people that I was a female writer or a woman covering the NBA. It's just that, and this is coming from my own paranoia. It's nothing that anybody's done. Like I just starting out, I didn't want to be looked at as like, I didn't want to look like I was getting ahead because I was a woman, if that's even possible. And at the same time, I didn't want people to think, well, I don't want to read her opinions because of that. And that hasn't happened to me. That just comes from a place of, you know, There were times growing up, people know that I grew up around coaching. I've been around a lot of coaches and I did have one tell me one day that like, um, I like to coach girls basketball because they don't know as much about the game. So they're not going to criticize or or argue with me and my decisions. So like, I was just kind of conditioned to a certain degree that like, we're not supposed to know a lot about basketball. So when I started doing this, it was like, I just want people to judge whatever I write or to like whatever I write based on the words and what I'm saying about basketball. And I still feel that way. And I hope that if you do enjoy what I write, like, great. So I don't want people to think that we're coming any at any of this from an angle of, of, of me, like stumping in the direction of that, if that even makes sense. I know Mm -hmm. that this sounds really babbly, but I, I do kind of want to delve into some of the hiring processes and overall to answer your question coming away from the presser and given some of the stuff that's happened over the last few days, I mean, it was just kind of refreshing to have a presser that was mainly just, you know, pleasant. (laughs) Yeah. It felt uh, a lot more composed and uh, less high strung than I think any of the press conferences felt at all last year Um, would be a good way to put it. Like we had talked recently about just the basketball in general, getting back to being competent on court and knowing that they weren't going to be making, uh, you know, kind of elementary mistakes and, and decisions uh and it felt like that off rip in the press conference as well right and, and he sounded very enthusiastic about the players that were on the team i agreed with many of the things that he said from an actual basketball standpoint including um some of the stuff that he touched on with like managing players health through minutes i mean that's stuff that you and i talked about a lot playing guys potentially shorter stints that was the entire first month of last year's indie yeah yeah i feel like we've recorded that podcast numerous times and and it seemed like you know he was ready to come back and and to take the current team to another level i mean the one spot that did fall a little bit short for me was when gary washburn i believe from the boston globe asked about the hiring process i mean i don't know how you felt about that or if you've already delved into it with tom but i mean i don't think anyone can blame the pacers for hiring rick carlisle when he has such a stellar resume and they have a long-term history with him have from the previous two times he was here it's a great hire i think he was clearly probably the best coach available on the market but for him coming as you know the head of the basketball coaches association i thought it was a fair question to ask and it seemed like the answer was basically like well teams 
have the right to hire whoever they want to hire. And I agree with that. Like, I don't think anybody should be controlling who a team hires. And it's my hope that, you know, regardless of any other factors that they would hire the best person for the job. And it seems like they did, but that also means that, or at least it seemed to mean that they didn't interview other people. So in a certain respect, that's kind of a cold comfort to underrepresented candidates who weren't going to get an opportunity. And like from the standpoint of some of the women who are working as assistants in the NBA, like I guess that they probably weren't going to get a call because, I mean, it seemed like the Pacers wanted somebody with multi-years of experience. They said that as well as a championship pedigree. So I understand that in the wake of Nate Bjorkren and taking a chance on uh, a first-time assistant that that isn't something that they were going to do. But um, given what Rick Carlisle's comments were when he was still at Dallas and uh, with respect to Minnesota's hiring of Chris Finch and that he wanted there to be open and diverse coaching searches, it does come across a little bit sketchy that that doesn't seem like that's what necessarily happened. But again, I don't think you can really – blame the Pacers for making what seems like a really good hire. And in the sense that they did interview around 15 candidates the first time. So I guess that they would kind of have that as background that like, Hey, we had already talked to a lot of these people. And then this person suddenly became available. And because the coaching search was moving as quickly as it was, we didn't want to leave them on the market, but I think it comes more, even more so than the Pacers than from Rick's standpoint, that if you're going to issue statements like that, you kind of want to, to live that out a little bit more. I don't know yeah. how you how you found it. No, I, uh, you know, especially in, in thinking about it after today. Um, I mean, first of all, I just appreciate Gary Washburn asking that question. That was something I was really hoping would get asked today. Um, I think I look at it more, and, and you know, we were we were talking about this before we got on the pod. I think that it's very difficult for me to stop and say uh, that Rick Carlisle wasn't a great hire. Um, yeah. It, I mean, that on surface, fantastic. Um, but it just feels to me like the entire process to get here is where I have the problem. Um, like you can just point out the fact that it took them a month and a half after the season ended for them pretty much to fire Nate Bjorkren. Um, you know, it was very uh, a lot of and, you know, of course, we're not in the inside. I'm never going to try and make it seem like we are. But all this stuff is coming out. That's like, well, maybe Nate Bjorkren will be back. Well, maybe he won't be back. You know, maybe if. You know, if the if the roster were going in a rebuilding direction, maybe he would be back next year. Like it, it was very mixed, a little bit convoluted, to be completely honest. Um, and then, you know, today, Kevin Pritchard talked about how they were going to make a, a wide and sweeping search. And then Rick popped up. And I think that that's one of the things where it, it's tough because, yes, Rick Carlisle is the best coach on the market for sure. Um, but. At the same time, I think that speaks to some of the larger problem in the NBA in terms of looking at uh, the way that hirings go down. And like it just rings a little hollow like you're talking about when, when you know, Rick eviscerated the Timberwolves for their their hiring. And I thought rightly so in some ways for they kind of I mean, this is my own opinion, just based on stuff, talking to people in Minnesota, like they, they kind of set up Ryan Saunders for failure. He was not a good coach, but he really just got um he got given a, a very difficult shake the way that things worked out, but also he got put in a place he shouldn't have by being head coach. Um, and it's a whole line of that kind of stuff. And nepotism feeds into nepotism in that way. Um, but I think I look at it in terms of, okay, well, yes, Rick is going to be the best coach in the market, but at the same time, after this, this expansive search last year, um, I, I don't understand how you come into this and then not make any, um, you know, any conduct any interviews or, or really launch into another search and try and, and find things. And I understand, you know, people bring up, um, I'm sure they're thinking right now and listening to this. Well, Mark, you know, they did that expansive search already, but I mean, that, that kind of stands out to me again, like, all right, maybe you should still be talking to people. Like it, I just think on the surface, yes, Rick Carlo is the best coach um, that the paces were going to get. And I, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I just think at large overall with the hiring and everything, you have to be be going out and doing your due diligence. And it just doesn't feel to me like the Pacers did. Um, so, it you know, it, it's easy for me to sit here and say that from afar and not being part of the organization. Um, but I think a lot of it just speaks to how last year's hiring went and that fed into this year. Right. And overall, I mean, the only thing I would say is, I mean, what I did say that there's, it's possible that they felt like, 
you know, this really great coach is on the market and there's seven teams with openings. I mean, at the time, I think Boston had already filled theirs. And like I said on a pod before, like, I mean, I don't think because of the way Boston's interview process went that Rick necessarily would have been a candidate there. And it seems like, especially in the aftermath of this week, that Neil O'Shea was pretty dead set on hiring Chauncey regardless. I mean, Dallas clearly wasn't going to rehire him. So, I mean, I don't know how many other teams were making calls there, but they probably thought that, you know, if this moves quickly, you know, we may not, and we talk to other people, we may not end up with the person that we think is the best for the job, but overall you are left with the impression that you want it to be a fair process. And some of it does come in the aftermath of some of what went on in Dallas. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics going on down there between, you know, Um, what sounds like Rick Carlisle might not have had complete control of rotations and who was playing and who wasn't to, you know, reported some clashes with Luka Doncic over, you know, whether to play call or to let him play, you know, more of a freewheeling style and just like a lot of stuff going on. But um, it does seem like there were some Dallas reporters that indicated that some of his endorsement of Jason Kidd, which we can get into more of that later was, somewhat of a shot at Jamal Mosley because that's who Luca um, reportedly seemed to want to succeed Carlisle. So that goes back to the statement that they issued that the, the head, the coaches association issued with Chris Finch as well, that like, you know, you are basically endorsing the Mavericks to hire Jason Kidd and your own assistant wasn't really given consideration there, or at least it doesn't seem so. I mean, they had indicated that they wanted to hire a GM first before hiring the coach, but those two hirings seem to kind of come in tandem. But I think that's my overall thought. Yeah, I agree. And I can't really speak a whole ton on the um, situation with Jamal Mosley. It definitely, uh, you know, I, I, it was Tim, Tim Cato from The Athletic on uh, on his podcast uh, with Dave before talked about, uh, how you know, how he had heard around the league that essentially that was – um, kind of just the, like you mentioned, the severing of the relationship when Rick Carlisle um, publicly uh, said that Jason Kidd is who he would like to succeed him in, in Dallas. Uh, and, you know, that's what we can dive into now. But um, it's, it, it's, it's another thing like you're talking about with assistant coaches in general, like looking at what happened in Minnesota. Uh, okay, well, what about David Vanderpool? You know, like, and I, this is just me speaking from, my knowledge base, knowing like the players in Portland absolutely love David Vanterpool. Uh, Damon Lillard had spoken out on Twitter multiple times, uh, probably bordering on on getting fined from the NBA about how David Vanterpool should be getting a head coaching job. It was BS that he didn't. Um, and he got passed over for somebody who wasn't even on the staff to come in and take the job midseason hired to a deal. Um, and I don't, you know, I, again, I, I don't have all the details to speak on that, but it, it then rings hollow looking over at Portland and Damian Lillard had, had been so vocal about Vanterpool. And this is not me trying to criticize Damian Lillard, but it's just, and then David Vanterpool was not even involved in the interview process with, with Portland after he'd already left his post in, uh, in Minnesota. So it's just, uh, oh, yes, a lot of this is just really awkward and uncomfortable and, and odd with the, uh, the way that, that that hiring processes shake out. Um, and, <laughs> some of the, the jostling that goes on between, uh, between people uh, during their jobs. Right. I mean, and, and all of this is very complicated. Like you watch the stuff that goes on up in Portland. And I think that, I mean, you and I both said this before the podcast, I don't think I'm necessarily revealing anything that, you know, the Pacers did interview two of the people that were interviewed up in Portland, or at least were reported to have interviewed them being Chauncey and and Becky Hammond. And at the time when the Pacers interviewed Chauncey, I did not know that the past allegations of sexual abuse were a thing from 1997. Like that was not something I was aware of. The only reason I became aware of it was because I follow um, some numerous people from Portland that I've done podcasts with who had mentioned it and were upset about it. And then also some people in Boston who I've done podcasts with whenever Chauncey was being mentioned as a candidate there. And, you know, these are very, it's, it's, it is very difficult things to talk about. I mean, on one hand, it's stories of, you know, redemption, forgiveness, second chances, whether there's such things as unbreakable standards. I mean, basketball actually matters in these conversations as well as just, you know, 
taking into account the feelings of victims of sexual assault and abuse. And, and, and it's a matter of fact versus conjecture conjecture with regard to Chauncey. But I guess, you know, the night that I quibbled for a long time with myself of should I even tweet something about this? Because for one, you know, the whole rule of just never tweet probably applies in most instances. But like, because I am a woman, am I going to be looked at as like I'm being overly dramatic or like, you know, that I'm trying to hold some, you know, morality standard. And I'm really not like a lot of my more frustration in that particular setting came from that. I think that we at least need to talk about that. Like, you know, I believe in, and that people can pursue growth. I believe in redemption. I believe that people can change, but I don't think that necessarily means that we should ignore that there are people who have suffered from things in the past and they can't escape them and that they might have to go to basketball games, whether in Dallas or Portland and, and be reminded of things that they don't necessarily want to be reminded of when they're just trying to watch a basketball game. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's for everyone to go away and decide what they want to think in the follow-up of that investigation that Portland said they held like that's to anybody's own opinion but for them to have said that they advanced Becky Hammond in the interview process and then days later have it come out through Bleacher Report that quote the background on Hammond was not nearly as complimentary pertaining to various aspects of day-to-day coaching responsibilities now like you said neither one of us are privy to this information I have no idea how Becky is at her job. If that's the case though, I do have a lot of questions about why the Spurs are continuing to employ her while apparently, or Spurs figures apparently are telling unnamed Portland sources this while keeping her on staff. And then I think the bigger question is for all the teams that have interviewed her, if this is such widespread knowledge as it seems to be being presented as, why are so many teams continuing to interview her? Like, and, and that's no, like, I just don't think that a lot of this is very fair to Becky. I mean, even from Portland's sake, like you had her go through the initial interview. It seems like if there was actual basketball reasons that disqualified her from being a head coach that you probably would have discovered him then. And yet you released a tweet or leaked that she was the first woman to advance to the final stages of interviews when all along you were most likely going to hire Chauncey anyways. And now this is going to follow Becky Hammond that, you know, allegedly, you know, various aspects of her day-to-day coaching responsibilities, whatever that exactly means, like unnamed blazer sources want us to lend credence to those San Antonio, San Antonio figures with unspecified quibbles about her, but they're not really lending any credence to the allegations that, you know, prompted some of the fans to be upset about Billups's hire. Like, so overall, I mean, it, it just goes back to all of these, these hiring issues. Like, I guess, you know, if, if Becky has some of this stuff that we don't know about, and again, I don't know, it could be the truth or not, but why aren't other women being interviewed then? She's not the only woman who is an assistant in the NBA. I mean, Carol Lawson was an assistant under Brad Stevens. There's Lindsey Harding. There's Jenny Busick, who did work for Rick Carlisle in Dallas. Like, why aren't any of those other women getting interviews? And I think that that's a fair question to ask, even though, like I said, when I started this podcast, it's not about me wanting somebody to get hired simply because they're a woman or me wanting to advance myself because I'm a woman. You just want in all three instances that the hiring process to be fair. And in some cases, like I would say far less so for the Pacers, I understand why they came to the hiring that they did that, you know, it's just been a very hard and exhausting week. That was a very long rambling thing to say, but it's just been a very exhausting week. I think there's, there's obviously a lot to unpack there. And I, uh, there's a lot of realness there. And I think it's just, we're, it's about being honest with it. Um, like, again, I don't, I don't think we're, I hope nobody tries to take this as us conflating what what's happening in Portland and Dallas is the same thing as Indiana. No, but I think the point is this stuff all builds on top of one. It builds into one another in some way, shape or form, like just the culture that exists currently uh, in the NBA. And it's not just the NBA. I mean, you and I, we're, we're NBA diehards that's why we're talking about it and why we're bringing it up but um especially the i i I need to talk about chauncey first like looking at that um i had a lot of people uh clap back at me on 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 twitter this week and and just in general uh because i was pretty outspoken about um portland deciding to go ahead and, and hire him and more importantly like the way 
I get frustrated when people ask me uh, or tell me, you know, like, what is the answer then? You know, should, should somebody who has sexual assault allegations against them never be able to be in the NBA again or to coach or to be on TV? And I don't have that answer. I don't know. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to any of us. But the point is, I'm, I just graduated college. Uh, Chauncey Billups played my entire childhood, and I never knew this happened until two weeks ago and because it, it somebody resurfaced it. And just looking back, Chauncey Billups never missed a game in, his, in the year that this happened. In 1997, 1998, his rookie year, he played 80 games. I think the two games were missed due to injury. Um, I, I, I can't speak on whether or not Chauncey Billups is quote-unquote rehabilitated. I don't know that I, I, I feel comfortable saying that somebody – who is involved in domestic abuse or sexual violence can, can get a second chance that again, that's not something that's up to me. Like, I think the problem so much is that we're, we're putting the onus on, uh, on people trying to stand up or, or talk about it. And instead of trying to ask questions and understand where things are coming from, because so much of this is just completely silenced victims and, and people who have been on the, uh, the, the terrible end of these acts, like their, their stories have just been completely thrown away this this past week and a half, which it feels so much longer than that. But that's what the problem is. Like, I, I, I'm I not somebody who can say that, that again, I, I can't say that Chauncey Billups is rehabilitated. But if Neil O'Shea and Pacers, not Pacers, and, and Portland PR are going to cut off Jason Quick from even asking, you know, how did this shape you? Because Chauncey Billups said yesterday in his introductory press conference that that event shaped him. It was a very vague answer. Um, I I don't really know what to make of it, but Jason Quick tried to follow up on it and get get an answer and try and ask those questions so that we can come from a place of trying to understand where where this is going and, and what's happening. And that gets shot down. That is a problem. Like that is such a major problem because that, again, that is completely silencing the the other half of, of this equation, which is the person who was affected by Chauncey Billups. Um, and that's, that's why it's a problem because you keep opening up more and more of this by allowing that kind of stuff to go unchecked and not even talking about it. Right, exactly. And, and I mean, and again, I mean, some of these situations are different. I mean, Chauncey's case was settled outside of court there. That's different than with regards to Jason Kidd. That's a little bit more cut and dry because he was convicted of domestic violence. Obviously the Mavericks also had issues with sexual harassment within their franchise. I think it's pretty easy or easier to criticize that hiring. And yet there really wasn't allowed to be space to do that either. And, and like, by the way, let's just take this a whole nother layer. Like, can we say that Jason Kidd was good at his actual job in Milwaukee and Brooklyn? No. I mean, and again, like, I believe that even just in coaching basketball, like you can get better and learn things about the game and improve. And I definitely don't want to sound like I'm conflating any of this, but just from an actual basketball standpoint, I can watch the Atlanta Hawks and see play calls that that Nate McMillan is calling that he didn't with the Pacers and see that he's improved in some of the stuff that he does on the offensive end of the floor. So I suppose that's possible, but it's hard for the Mavericks to even make the case that they hired you know, the best coach available, let alone some of the hurt that that type of a hire causes. And I'm with you. I don't, I don't know what the answers to this are. I don't know, you know, with regards to to second chances or what it needs to be, but I know that there's not going to be much of a discussion amongst those who can find answers or determine what the NBA's, you know, path is going to be moving forward if nobody's allowed to talk about it. And we're just going to turn it into, you know, segments on ESPN that are either puff pieces or just time for a panel that's only, you know, handpicked candidates that might be or handpicked members of the ESPN family who are friends with Chauncey that are going to answer those questions without really giving women or just victims of sexual abuse in general to be able to express, you know, whatever pain or what they felt in the aftermath of that hiring. And just because like you said, like Neil O'Shea and the Blazers PR didn't really even give Chauncey the opportunity to answer some of those questions. Like I'm not saying that it, it would have made it better for people up in Portland that watched it, but at least he could have, I mean, it looked like Chauncey was prepared to answer the question and they didn't give him that space. They just want people to take their word for it. And the fact of the matter is, is sadly, like after this week, 
people probably won't talk about this again. Like once the season starts and basketball starts being played and games are played, that's where the focus will go again. I mean, that's what I can't even really, I mean, I'd sound hypocritical by saying that's not what I do. Like I strictly only write about basketball and in part because of weeks like this, like if you don't just write about basketball, it can become very just hard to understand why certain decisions are being made. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been a lot. And like, even just circling back to, that I mean, in in this case of the Becky thing, like, let's even look at like, you know, the Pacers interviewed like between 15 and 20 people. And here's something I will say about the Pacers. Did you hear in the aftermath of when they hired Nate Bjorkren, why those other 14 people weren't hired? No, no, I did not hear a word. And I, I don't I think that's the way that it should be. Like, I don't need to know why they didn't hire such and such assistant from such and such team. And yet now I know why allegedly the Blazers didn't hire Becky Hammond. I mean, and that alone just kind of screams misogyny. Like, I can't remember in a single coaching case that I've ever heard why an assistant wasn't hired for a head coaching job and then relate it to, like, I mean, it's very vague references, but, like, kind of her ability, like I said, her ability to fill coaching responsibilities day to day. Like, I mean... And that alone, I mean, it, it just it just reeks of a PR stunt. It reeks of tokenization from all the way around. I mean, it, it just feels very gross to me. Yeah, I agree. And I think that was um, that was the whole problem. Like, I mean, Portland clearly, I mean, they waited until the fourth quarter of, uh, of, of Suns Clippers. I believe that was Suns Clippers. I can't remember off the top of my head uh, to, to announce that Chauncey was being hired. I mean, that was a very clear move to just try and avoid as much publicity from it as possible. Um, and then they had leaked in that same day. And you, this is just speculation. But again, it, I mean, it's very it felt very clear that that it was Portland and their front office who leaked the stuff about Becky Hammond um, as, again, another reason to instead of, well, this is why we hired Chauncey more like, well, this is why we didn't hire Becky or like just taking any any real onus off of. Uh, owning why they made the decision that they did uh, to hire Chauncey Billups. Um, and that's the problem. Like, that is such a massive part of the problem. Like like you just mentioned, that's what I'm really uh, – and I'm sure somebody will hear this and be like, oh, you're overreacting. But I, it legitimately scares me a little bit that we're just going to sweep this under the rug again. Um, and that, that because that just opens up the door for even more of this stuff to happen. Um and, and, and that's what I hate. Like you look at this, um, you know, I had somebody who was going off on me saying, well, you know, they can ask him those questions eventually, but not during the initial press conference. It's just the wrong time. Like, well, then when, it, when is the right time? They're not the, the reason Portland set this up the way that they did is so that they could shut down all of those questions and move on and pretend that it never happened and never have to deal with it again. Because frankly, they're never going to, they're probably not going to talk to Billups. Maybe they'll talk to him once or twice before the season starts. Like it, it just, it, it's very clear that, 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 that Portland just did not want to talk about this and just saying, well, you know, we, you're just going to have to trust us on this. No, we can't trust you on this because we've never really been able to trust anybody on this before. And we need to at least understand why. And, uh, and, and that, that didn't happen. Well, and then the, and then he basically answers the question about Becky and is just completely patronizing about it. I mean, saying that, well, that's just an endorsement. She made it clear to the final round. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't really need that. It was the most patronizing bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I've like if seen. I looked up the definition of patronizing, that's what I would have found. But um, I mean, yeah, you said that. I mean, it, the direct quote from the Bleacher Report article was that when Portland reached out for Intel from San Antonio figures. So, I mean, that does sound like it's coming from Portland. I mean, I personally would be very interested, and I put this out there, that when Team USA camp opens in a couple weeks, I think Greg Popovich needs to be asked about what he thinks about Becky Hammond's performance in her job. Like, Because, I mean, I think we can probably guess that either way he's probably going to say something glowing about it but at the same time i think that the spurs need to put it on the record or somebody affiliated with the spurs needs to come out and say you know here's our reaction to that because i mean like i said it's one way or the other it's either that portland's trying to use this as basically you know cover for why they went about their hiring process the way that they did or it's that the spurs 
aren't happy with her performance and are publicly praising her and privately telling other teams that she's apparently in some way, shape or form bad at her job. And, and either way, it's just, you know, none of it is good. And I guess I come away with the impression of what I said before, like, even if that's the case, like, first of all, like, I can't even imagine being Becky right now in the aftermath, a lot of this, but I then would question why there aren't other women getting hired or getting interviewed. And again, it's not about whether they get hired. I mean, somebody replied to me about that, like other teams have passed on her. For me, it's not about that at all. If she doesn't get a head coaching job and people have deemed that it's because for basketball reasons, I'm completely understanding of that. I want the best person available to get these jobs. It's just, I want to feel like the process was fair and that people are getting an opportunity to get the jobs. And I think that it's reasonable for people to question that in some of these cases. So that's mainly where I land with most of it. And, you know, I understand that people didn't like some of the things that I said, and I immediately got called a Karen among other things, but I felt in the time, like it was something that I needed to say. So. Well, and you were in the right to say it. Um, And I feel the same way. And um, I'm just, I'm glad that we, view things in, in a similar way and we're able to come together and talk about it. And as much as I hate that we had to talk about it. Um, well, so do I, like, I, yeah. I don't even like that. I had to think about whether I should, you know, tweet something with regards to that interview process in Portland or not. And then question, you know, you know, what are people thinking about having said it? And, you know, I hope people understood where we were coming from during this and, and think that we were fair during it. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, I, I think we, we did as much as we can in, in terms of uh, trying to really bring light to this and, and, and speak, uh, speak on it. Um, Caitlin, I appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, on the back end of this, uh, Tom and I talk a little bit more in depth on, uh, on, on Rick's press conference in general. Um, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll be right back in a minute. I'm joined by Tom Lewis because we're going to go over Rick Carlisle's introductory press conference. But first of all, Tom, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. It was an interesting press conference to uh, listen to and uh, um, looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, um, I, I think the first thing that we that, that stuck out for us, we were talking about this before we got on, was it was just uh, <laughs> kind of refreshing. Like it was a very different vibe than the last year of press conferences, not to completely pile on Nate Bjorkman, but um, it just, it was a very, uh, very, very different sense, uh, with how the, uh, everything went down a lot more, uh, relaxed. Indeed. I'd, I'd say the patient is stable, you know, thinking about <laughs> you're in a hospital room and the blood pressure machines are coming in this nice steady line going. And, uh, uh, again, I kind of mentioned to you that, you know, there was just a genuineness to everything that Carlisle said. Um, which wasn't always, you know, didn't always feel it was the case with York. And I kind of felt, you know, sometimes he was saying stuff just to either get out of the press conference or just to to um, avoid bigger issues. But, you know, Carlos got all that experience um, that the, the Pacers need right now is a steady hand. Um, and he's well aware of what he wants to do, what he needs to do. And I not sure he really cares what we think, <laughs> yes. honestly. And um, and so, you know, he's laying it out there. And, um, I, I, you know, for him, I, I felt like he was, was pretty open. So, yeah, no, um, I it, was, it was interesting. The first thing to me that, that really stood out uh, was talking about, you know, he automatically went into talking about how, um, you know, he wants to, uh, like he's going to saying cater to his players is wrong, but he's going to cater to his player's skill sets, like talking about molding his system. Like he's never going to just have a system. He's always going to um, right. do, do everything each year in terms of trying to, uh, uh, to mold to his group with, with the highest level possible of play, um, it, you know, mentioned being inventive. That's stuff that we've known about stuff we've talked about. Um, but I, you know, we, we heard him say it. So that was something uh, on top of it that I thought was important. Um, but congruently off of that, he immediately went into talking about how important health is going to be shouted out Josh Corbeil and most of the training staff. Um, what did you think about that? Cause it felt like he brought up, uh, you know, the importance of health for this group moving forward multiple times, multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. it wasn't just um, once. Like I think once like piqued my interest and then I, it felt like he mentioned it at least five or six times. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I, think, I think Josh Corbeil was mentioned as much as any other players. Um, and 
you know, that's kind of relevant with this group right now that uh, I, I know that obviously he has a trust in that group and, and I'm sure um, that was part of his thought process coming in with, um, you know, having confidence that, that they have the right training group. And again, I mean, we've talked about the fact that, you know, they've kind of had to take chances on guys with that sketchy um, injury history. And, and it's obviously bit them here, um, especially last year, but um, it, it, it does set up for a situation where, um, you know, if, if they are having issues again with the injuries, you know, they're, they're kind of going to be stuck with another last year unless they um, alter it drastically before the trade deadline. Um, but even that, if that's the case, then it's not going to be an ideal situation either because uh, you would be ostensibly moving, <laughs> trying to move off of, off of guys who are injured or, or replacing guys that are injured. So, um, yeah, it's, it's knock on wood time that everybody's healthy now and they're going to start the season healthy and ready to go. And, and then um, uh, he's going to be working with Josh Corbeil. And, and, you know, it, it was interesting, though. I mean, he did, he did mention, um, you know, Dirk's uh, playing rotations later in his career and how um, he was altering the minutes and, and playing them like um, three times instead of, um, you know, maybe a two, two longer stretches and, um, and how, you know, maybe certain players that, you know, you got to manage those minutes that way. And so maybe he has ideas that he's bringing in that he can work with Corbeil on as they're um, keeping these guys healthy and um, <clears throat> maybe that'll have an impact down the road as well yeah no definitely i think that's a great point um it, it still just kind of rings kind of uh not oddly I, I wouldn't say oddly but it's just interesting hearing uh how much a uh, a trainer gets brought up in in a <laughs> it, it, only in indiana i guess i mean again we, we we've talked about that extensively but still i just thought it was interesting um yeah but you, you look at these playoffs though <laughs> I mean, yes uh, yeah are, i mean first of all also are, are i mean becoming all stars i think <laughs> god i hope Giannis is okay like not to, oh, I know. not to like He's... totally shift the but i i turned off the game after that happened i was just like, i can't watch the rest of this i uh yeah i felt awful in the moment for him and i hope that he's all right uh, we still haven't heard anything today which is probably not awesome uh just gauging on yeah, that I, I agree yeah um but yeah, did not look, uh, did not look good at all. Um, so hopefully he's all right. But, um, another thing that I thought stood out quite a bit, and this is, I'm not trying to be all pessimistic or anything. I'm, this isn't intended to come across that way at all. I thought it was really interesting that he talked about how, when, you know, I, I don't remember who asked the question about, uh, his conversations with, with Chad, uh, Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard, but he talked about how, you know, he likes it all of the, you know, the, they were talking about how all of the guys are on, on really good contracts and uh, there is great interest in our guys around the league, I think was the direct quote. Mm -hmm. um, I found that one particularly interesting. Um, I mean, what did you get from that? Cause I thought that was a, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I mean, I, and, and again, and he, and he, also talk, you know, about uh, the Turner Sabonis pairing and how talk about staggering you know, them. I was like, the first thing he talked about was yeah, getting him getting them to play by themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I immediately I texted one of my friends and I was like, Goga stock trending downwards yet again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's I uh, yeah. Well, go on. Sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. Yeah, but and and you know, but it is true. I mean, when you look around. It, it, the contracts are all so good almost that it's hard to make some deals with some teams because because uh, the there, there aren't that many you know quality players in that middle range you know middle it's crazy that 20 million is like a middle range but um uh but yeah yeah that was definitely a point that came out i was like yeah i i, I think you know they're, they're obviously never going to say we're running everybody back but um, to think that they're not going to be searching around and, and trying to look for value. And, and I guess that's the point. Like, yeah, he's happy, as you mentioned, taking whatever 12 or 15 or whatever guys they give him and working the best to make that group, you know, excel. Um, 
and but you know there's no doubt they got to be working um as well at the other end trying to kind of tweak the roster somewhat um and improve you know fill some holes that they need right now and that's going to require you know just a good deal they, they don't have to be selling off they don't have to take a bad deal but um they do have you know some quality trade options potentially and and if the right offer comes to me you know it's going to be a no-brainer to to move and whether that's um <laughs> hearing them talk about Sabonis there at the end with Tony asked him about Arvidas um, I feel like um, he's really going to be really tight with, with uh, Domas but um, he also was talked so glowingly about Turner as well um, so either he's trying to prop up their trade value um, or he'd like to have him around but I guess time will tell um, by the time we get see what, what the actual roster looks like in October but yeah, I don't know. What did you think about it? Yeah, I uh, I agree. Um, it felt like I mean, it, it it definitely didn't push anything in a certain direction, but it didn't not push anything in a certain direction. Yeah. I think is the way to put it. it. It leaves the door open is the way that I think I would leave it. Um, which is kind of where we've been at for the last two years. Uh, just mm-hmm. not really having a great idea of what's going to happen with that. And I get it. It's fine. Um, I you know we'll see how it plays out. I think I've aired my my thoughts out on it you know I, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense to try and uh run back both of them and see what happens but at the same time maybe it doesn't make more it doesn't make any more sense to to make a trade and uh see what happens right away so I think you know time will tell with that we're gonna see what happens um also yes uh I was not expecting to hear stories about the bonus's birth to be completely honest that was not something <laughs> yeah. that I anticipated at all uh, coming into the press conference today, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, that question from Tony, and uh, I yeah. felt like Rick gave like a good like five or six minute answer on that. Yeah, that was great. I mean, he actually was about to pretty much close up shop after that. Um, but yeah, but, and again, you know, you talk about the genuineness, and, and you know, you could just see in his face the way he was, um, you know, recalling that that day, you know, going over and, and how, um, how different Arvidas's, you know, personality was and how happy he was compared to his, you know, normal day-to-day, more stoic nature. Um, and yeah, literally from day one, <laughs> Carl has been around Domas, which is, which is crazy. So, um, that was, yeah. And yeah, we didn't, we don't, we don't need to reprise the videos of the birth or anything like that. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm quite that. okay without that. <laughs> um, one of the last things I want to hit on too, it's interesting. This is the second time now uh, that I, I think it was in, uh, I can't remember which, inter- I think I want to say it was Rick's interview with Bob Kravitz, uh, the, the phone interview he did, uh, that he mentioned the, the similarities between this team and where that, that 0102 Pistons team was coming into to his first mm. year there. Um, mm-hmm. brought that up again today. And I, you know, I was digging into it a little bit. Uh, I mean, that team went from 32 and, uh, and 50 to, to 50 and 32 the next year. So obviously a massive difference. They made the second round of the playoffs lost in five. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. I, I like that. He keeps bringing that up. Um, you know, it, they, you know, he mentioned too talking about how they're they're. I mean, KP at the, at the beginning said they're in win now, you know, win now mode. Um, which is the first time that he has really committed to saying that um, mm-hmm. this off season. Uh, and then Rick of course goes on top of that too. And says, you know, we're trying to win right now. Uh, our goal is to make the playoffs and then win uh, in the playoffs. Um, so I, it, I'm not saying that the, uh, the, the mandate is the second round of the playoffs, but it, it kind of is in some regards, obviously that's what the, yeah. Um, it feels very much to like what the organization's targeting uh, in this coming year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of the things that he kind of was referencing about what, you know, hitting the ground with a team like this and how, you know, he, he referred back to Bird coming in with that team after Larry Brown had been there. And it looked like maybe they were at the, had run the course, but he adjusted their uh, mindset and the way they approached things. And, um, and a lot of it wasn't 
you know, it seems like a lot of it isn't X's and O's. It's, you know, coming in and giving everybody the, the vision that you're on the same page together, working together, which obviously last year was an issue. Um, and so, I, you know, that, that, I feel like obviously he, in his mind, he, he understands what, um, what that looks like, what needs to be done. And it'll just be interesting. You know, now, we're, you know, so many years later, he's gone through generations of NBA players now. And um, can he get that, that message across to these guys now in, in a different era um, that, you know, this is a secret sauce to a team coming together and, um, and winning and being, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. And really, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, there's a lot of good depth on the Pacers team. And so if somehow they can coalesce and, um, and, and have that genuine team relationship where they're, um, you know, they're giving themselves at both ends of the floor, as he mentioned, um, you know, trying to help your teammate get a basket, trying to help your teammate be better on defense, that type of thing. Um, if they can really buy into that and come together, then, you know, they do have enough talent to, you know, do something and get to the second round of the playoffs, let's say. Um, and, and you know, maybe someone rises up and, and takes their game to another level that um, that makes them go further. And that would be great to watch. But um, it's all out there now. We, <laughs> first it starts with health and, and Josh Corbeil, of course. <laughs> and then the players and coach getting on the same page. So, um, but you know, for day one, it looks like they're off the right, off the right, on the right foot. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I thought it was really interesting too. Um, or not, not interesting, more like just kind of a quick question. I mean, other than when he initially talked about TJ, I think, I think he said he only played three games. I'm pretty sure TJ played four. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but, um, did he really mention TJ at all? It, I was going back through my notes. So like, I don't think he mentioned TJ too much. Like he didn't individually. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really individually um, he, speak about any players, to be honest. Like, I'm not trying to make this some like uh, TJ is getting traded type type of crap. But right now, um, he, he, did mention, he did mention because I, I recall him saying like, well, he only played three or four games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so he really wasn't even there last year. So, um he kind of went through everybody because I felt like he was even, I could tell he kept making a point to mention Doug and TJ McConnell um, among all the, all the, and, and, and Jeremy Lamb. And, you know, again, all these guys who could potentially be, uh, well, obviously with, with McConnell and, and McDermott's um, free agent type guys, or maybe they're signing trade type guys, but I felt like he, he was keeping everybody in the mix and, uh, making sure that that um at least in his eyes they appear valuable yeah no definitely that makes sense i was uh, i was just curious about it um so we haven't really gotten a huge update on where tj's at right now with his uh his rehab um but we'll have an update i'm imagining sometimes i mean like I, I know he's gonna i mean i don't know but i'm assuming based on everything that we know he's gonna be back for the season uh to start but you know we'll see what happens with that um last i did, I did think oh, it was I was going to say, I did think it was interesting that he was, like, not there, which I thought was odd at first. I mean, but mm-hmm. then, you know, in this, you know, year of Zoom and everything, it doesn't really matter where you are. Yeah. Um, but, and also with the holiday weekend and everything, it's fully understandable. So, um, I actually ran into him down at, where, where he's down in South Carolina um, the year after they won, after he won the title uh, in Dallas. I ran into him at a, a Starbucks in a grocery store. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm from Indiana. Congrats. And then, um, but, and he was great. He was chatting about turning the conversation to everything except himself, which is, which I always appreciate. Um, he could have just blown me off. So, um, but uh, he's, yeah, I'm sure has a nice setup down there. So, gonna enjoy the weekend now. I mean, hey, it seemed like it. Um... Last thing I did want to hit on, uh, he talked about role identification is huge. Uh, I mean, it's the direct quote, uh, role identification is huge. Role acceptance is bigger when talking about the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the things that it's less about uh, asking about it, more about uh, just kind of uh, 
bringing that to light. Like, I think that's something I'm really interested to see next year. And it's something I'm kind of working on and or working through my head right now and thinking about writing on is, you know, even just looking at TJ McConnell this past year, you know, he, he had his best year as a pro easily um, under Nate Bjorkren. And, uh, you know, we saw some of the deficiencies that, that he struggled with in the playoffs previously. I mean, you know, just not really playing in the playoffs and, um, you know, was clearly not used in the same way under Nate McMillan. Again, that's not on Nate or anything. They had a good year. Um, but point being, you know, we could really see some different, uh, like real different avenues and aspects for guys on this roster uh, looking at this next year. Like one of the things that I always point out, Jeremy Lamb really struggled last year, especially when his shot stopped falling uh, with the, the, you know, considering the way that it had early on when he came back from injury. But something that I always pointed out, even if, uh, you know, they were in a regular, uh, like back going back to Nate, when Nate McMillan was a head coach still, he still wasn't a great defender, but like last year he looked like a bottom bottom defender in the league, like a bottom 10 defender in the league because he was struggling that much. Part of it was injury, but also, I mean, the scheme really just didn't help him out. And that's just one small yeah, little right. case, case study uh, of, you know, the importance of uh, what a guy's role is, what a guy's being asked to do as it pertains to a, to a coach and, and to a system. And I think, um, you know, I look at it more almost into like, we, we, we like to arbitrarily rank players and whatnot. I don't really think we do that too much at IC, but um, point being like that stuff is fluid, like what a guy can yeah. do and what a guy is capable of uh, on a, you know, as a, in his skill set, that just really is, there's a range of what somebody can do. And I think uh, that's kind of the, the, the leaving the, the sentiment I want to leave off on. I, I do think we could really see some real, uh, real change up on what guys are doing on both ends this coming year. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we talked about the big year that TJ McConnell had and all that. And, um, but again, we go back to the injuries and, you know, I mean, Justin holiday played so much, started so many games, you know, what does the rotation look like if everybody's healthy, you know, maybe TJ McConnell doesn't, ever get going and, and have that kind of a, a season and um and again yeah the defensive stuff <laughs> it's kind of funny I, uh, and i guess i have to blame caitlin for making me feel this but it's like i'm really looking forward to when uh the pacers play russell westbrook and seeing how they defend <laughs> you know it's just all those little things that you know we're like why do we keep doing this it's not working um um, and how how these guys, like you say, um, the role, how their roles are identified, and uh, again with, with that depth of good, um, good to great depth of good, um, how how will those roles, you know, fluctuate a little bit throughout the year, depending upon teams are playing and, and matchups and things like that, um, are all things that you know are on the table and and. Um, looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to be uh, getting back to competent will be uh, will be fun to watch. Uh, definitely. <laughs> That's um, right. Well, Tom, unless you have anything else you want to hit off on, I think that uh, that that just about wraps us up for today. I think we're good. Awesome. Well, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time. To everyone listening, thank you for listening, and most importantly, have a good rest of your day. <laughs>